What you're about to hear is the very last reposted episode before I get back to regularly scheduled programming on January 1st. This episode was originally posted on October 24th, 2009 and focuses primarily on Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Uh, I'm playing this episode by request. Cheryl K. wrote in to say that she thought this would be an excellent episode to post in light of the fact that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was basically repealed very recently, and I couldn't agree more. This episode is brought to you by the members and donors of the Best of the Left podcast. For information, go to the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the California Marriage Protection Act, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, Countdown, The Daily Show, The Mother Jones Podcast, and The Moth Podcast. Right now, traditional marriage is under attack. An epidemic is sweeping our nation, and you have the power to help. Every divorce starts with the death of a traditional marriage. Right now, anyone who legally gets married can also legally get divorced. The 2010 California Marriage Protection Act will make it illegal to get divorced in the state of California. Divorce has been illegal for 99% of human history. If it's not broken, don't fix it. I got divorced. And now I have to live with that horrible sense of liberation for the rest of my life. My kids are being taught in school that divorce is all right. It's true. I learned that. Parents should be teaching their kids things, not schools. Divorce costs hardworking Californians $4.8 billion every year. Say no to wasteful government spending by saying yes to no divorce. Vote yes, because marriage isn't a right. It's a responsibility. go of 13,000 qualified and honorable troops. We must do right by our taxpayer. It makes no sense that we spend $1.3 billion to train these heroes up and then just to kick them out just because of their sexual orientation. And lastly, this policy is simply un-American. It goes against the very fabric which makes our country great that we're all created equal. That was what a call to action looks like. And in this case, the caller was Congressman Patrick Murphy, Democrat of Pennsylvania. Congressman Murphy is a straight, married Iraq War veteran. And he has taken the lead in the House in the effort to repeal the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. 
Congressman Murphy held an hour-long special session of floor speeches last night on Don't Ask, Don't Tell. He read letters from service members who opposed the policy. He introduced a lot of other House Democrats who are also pushing for an end to the policy. He touted the 176 co-sponsors who have now signed on to a House resolution that calls for a repeal of the law. Sounds sort of inspiring, right? Sounds like momentum. So naturally, after all these stirring speeches and personal stories and the many mentions of the 176 co-sponsors, as if on cue, the proverbial Oscar the Grouch popped out of his trash can to remind everyone of the inertia that is resisting that momentum. Immediately following the special hour against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Republican Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas took to the floor and randomly relevant to no particular legislation being discussed, unveiled his own take on the gays. The definition of, uh, of um, sexual orientation is wide open to all kinds of interpretation. And someday, some court somewhere will say, you know what, sexual orientation means exactly what those words mean. If uh, you're oriented toward animals, bestiality, uh, then, you know, that that's not something that could be used, held against you or any bias be held against you for that, which means you'd have to strike any laws against bestiality. If you're oriented toward corpses, toward children, you know, there are all kinds of perversions. All kinds of perversions. On programming note, um, we are planning a special segment to introduce Congressman Louis Gohmert to America on tomorrow night's show, so you might want to arrange for child care, as this segment may very well not be suitable for children or pets or corpses. Uh, but regardless of Louis Gohmert's best efforts to equate being gay with the plots of several of the Saw movies, uh, there is suddenly a lot of going on. Uh, there's suddenly a lot of policy going on uh, around gay politics. The president is set to address the largest gay rights group in the country this weekend. He'll speak at a human rights campaign fundraiser on Saturday. The Gay Rights National Equality March on Washington is then set for Sunday. The Associated Press is reporting tonight that the Obama administration is about to name its first openly gay ambassador. The Washington D.C. City Council is considering a bill that would allow same-sex marriage in the District of Columbia. And after President Obama's national security advisor said this weekend that the president would work on repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, quote, at the right time, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, who has promised the first ever Senate hearings on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, responded immediately by saying, frankly, that the right time is now.
in how he survived the disco inferno. Please welcome Jim Fora. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, for the uninitiated, and I don't know if there is an initiation, but we'll skip that. What was Stonewall? Why, why so significant? What happened that night? Well, what's really significant about Stonewall, first of all, it was the end of the 60s. Everyone else had had their rebellion during the, the black people, brown people, women. And so Stonewall was a... That was, covers everybody, black, brown, and women. Well, yeah, it does in a way. People of color, okay. which you all prefer, right. all right. Um, I don't see but color. Stonewall but Stonewall was a, Stonewall, it was a mafia bar in the village. It was, it was a mafia bar? Yes, that's organized crime, Stephen. Well, I know. I, uh, oh, I, oh, I know. You and, think I don't want to give a kickback and, for and the, the studio? <laughs> and the reason that they were the only people that would operate places where gay and lesbian people could go to because it was against the law to be homosexual in New York City as it was in most of the country. So Stonewall was this really sleazy dive. It was like something out of a 30s movie, like his old speakeasy, boarded up windows in front. Jake sent me, that kind of thing? Yes, with a little mm -hmm. thing, yes. Jake sent me, are you gay enough? Do I know who you are? Is there a scale? Is there a scale of gayness? Uh, well, I think it's more, are you cute enough? Are you, you know? cute enough? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. And um, this particular night, it was a Friday night in, su in the summer, very hot, early in the evening. There were police had arrived to get a payoff. I know that's going to be probably shocking to you that police actually took money from organized crime, but in fact they did in, in this particular instance. And there was trouble inside the bar with the amount of money that they got. And the people in the bar started making fun of the cops. Now this is nothing unusual. Little I hate it when gay people tease people. <laughs> That's one of your most vicious weapons. But we do, do but we do do it well. Mm -hmm. And there was one particular person, uh, what we call a passing woman, a woman that dressed as a man. A and passing woman. That was called a passing woman. I have actually, met a few. Go on. <laughs> unlike a passing man, but this mm -hmm. was a passing. And she talked back to the cop, and the cop got insulted that this passing woman would be speaking to him in that way. They arrested her, handcuffed her and took her and put her in the police car outside. When she got in the, the police car, because she was a very butch-passing woman, she started rocking the car back yes. and forth, and, and people started to gather seeing this police car in front mm -hmm. of this, of this of bar, and much to her surprise, she got her hands out of the handcuffs, and the cop had forgotten to, to lock both sides of the car, so she got herself out of the car. And this is, by the way, the significant moment of what happened that night, not the Stonewall Inn. What happened is she threw her bulky body against that police car, and in that moment, the crowd went up in cheers, and something happened. Are you that, saying it took a lesbian to fight for gay rights? Oh, well, you know, Stephen, most people don't understand that lesbians are part of the gay rights movement. I, I didn't think know that. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, we actually have lesbians. I had no idea. In, in, in fact, the, the lesbians... I thought you had radically different agendas. <laughs> we have the same agenda, which is about freedom. Now, are you guys upset with uh, Barack Obama? I'm hearing a lot of gay people upset with Barack Obama. You heard what I said before. He's just got to take his time with this. I was very glad you did. I, I, you know, I'm very troubled by Barack Obama because I think most gay and lesbian people in this country voted for Barack Obama and expected him to talk about our issues. And he's playing a classic liberal role. It's always about wait, wait, wait. 
we're waiting here in New York City, in New York State, to get, so we can get married. We're waiting to be able to serve honorably this country in the military. We're waiting and waiting. And I'm quite frankly, as most people are, sick and tired of it. And we expected a Bar- Barack Obama to step up to the plate and do what is principled, what well, is why right. Why don't you do the smart thing? Why don't you do the smart thing? If you are tired... If you're tired of liberals saying one thing and then saying, wait, 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 when they get into office, why don't you come over to conservatives? Because we're honest. We say no, no, no from the very beginning. You know, isn't there something to be said for honesty? Yeah, there's actually, there is something to be said for that because we Thank know you. who our enemies are. And I'd much rather speak... Keep your enemies close. close. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And your gay enemies closer. <laughs> So, but, but to go back to Barack Obama, it's, it's deeply, deeply troubling. And I actually asked Cornel West about this. Mm-hmm. And Brother West, he's yeah, part of the show. And, and uh, he said that Barack Obama is wrong, but he will come along. I don't know if Martin Luther King, would, if, what he would have said when someone said to him, we'll come along on your rights. I don't know about Rosa Parks if she would have gotten off the bus and not sat down. Let me ask you something. Is there a leader of the gay rights movement? You guys have made progress in the last 40 years, but is there a leader? Is there a Martin Luther King or a Martin Luther Queen for that matter? Is there, <laughs> is there anybody out there? Is there one guy or, or girl? Well, I would like to think that I'm that leader, but in truth, in truth, we are such a diverse community, we're very grassroots in our identity, that we have leaders all over this country that stand up in their individual communities and say, I am gay, I am lesbian, and I am out. And that is a very brave, even today, a very brave and leadership position. So look in your own hometown and you will find that person that you're looking someplace else for. should be fired because they're gay despite doing a great job and meeting their responsibilities. It's not fair. It's not right. We're going to put a stop to it. Nobody in America should be fired because they're gay, says the man who's in the process of firing this guy because he's gay. This is Lieutenant Colonel Victor Fehrenbach who will join us in a moment. He's a fighter pilot who has flown 88 combat missions, earned nine air medals, and estimates that the military has spent $25 million training him. But after a civilian outed him to the military chain of command, Lieutenant Colonel Fehrenbach was told he was being discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell after 18 years of service. President Obama's speech before the human rights campaign this weekend was heavy on firm commitments to end Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but kind of light on details about how and when that will happen. I'm working with the Pentagon, its leadership, and the members of the House and Senate on ending this policy. 
Legislation has been introduced in the House to make this happen. I will end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That's my commitment to you. The day after that speech, even as tens of thousands of demonstrators converged on the National Mall to call for, among other things, more details and swifter action on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, General Richard Myers, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, had this to say about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Gays can serve in the military, just can't serve openly, and they and they do, and there's lots of them, and we are, and we are, uh, and, and we're the beneficiary of all that. General Myers offering a fairly succinct summary of the basic complaint about "Don't ask, don't tell." Joining us now is Lieutenant Colonel Victor Fahrenbach, and um, thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, David. Um, Lieutenant Colonel, given what happened to you, you lived by the don't tell part of the rule for years only to be outed against your will. What do you think when you hear General Myers' characterization of don't ask, don't tell? Um, I think it's very disappointing. It shows a real disconnect there um, about what is really happening. Um, you know, there's been 13,000 men and women, uh, brave men and women, who have been discharged under this policy, and I don't have the exact number, but I, I think over half uh, are, are cases like mine where somebody involuntarily was outed. Um, you know, I kept my private life private for 18 years. I never wanted to tell. Um, the Air Force never asked me, so I lived by the law. Um, so in many ways, this this law isn't working for me or for thousands of others that continue to serve bravely. You uh, have not been formally discharged yet. Tell us about the status of your case. Uh, that's correct. Um, on April 15th, um, that was the, the final day of my administrative discharge board, and the board recommended an honorable discharge, and I've been waiting since then. Um, the process from that point was supposed to go through a brief legal review, then on to a personnel review board, and then up to the Secretary of the Air Force for his final decision. Um, that normally takes about five months based on other cases, but my case has been stalled in the legal review process. Um, in many ways, that's great for me because I get to put on the uniform and serve um, every day. Um, at the same time, I'm in limbo uh, since I've been recommended for discharge. Um, I don't know when uh, I'll eventually be fired if that's the case. Are you holding out hope, though, that uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell will be repealed before you're formally discharged? I am. I'm, I hold out hope every day, and you know, each day I get to serve. Um, it's an honor for me, and it's also good good to show that uh, my squadron, my fighter wing, they continue to do the job every day, and we prove every day that this policy needs to be repealed now. By my count, uh, more than 400 servicemen and women have been kicked out under Don't Ask, Don't Tell since President Obama took office uh, in late January. Obviously, you have a real sense of urgency about ending Don't Ask, Don't Tell. What did you think about the way President Obama addressed the policy this weekend? Do you think he understands the urgency? Um, I hope he does. I mean, we've heard words like this before when he was a candidate last year, and then also uh, when I was uh, fortunate enough to go to the White House in June, I heard similar words. Obviously, the words over the weekend, they were more definitive than we have heard before, um, so that gave me, again, hope. But we've heard words before, and as a military man, uh, we like to judge people on their actions, not their words. So we've heard words like this before, and, uh, and I just hope now we can have uh, action from the Congress and the President and uh, from the American people that they can help put pressure uh, on our lawmakers to do the right thing. And real quickly, Air Force Colonel, if, uh, if, if Don't Ask, Don't Tell is repealed, say in January or February, well after health care, would that be enough time for you to stay in? 
<laughs> I hope so. Um, you know, if we would have followed the normal timeline, I would have been fired this week. So um, hopefully um, my process can um, move slowly and hopefully the Congress can act fast enough to save my career. You know, but if not, um, it's for the greater good. So if I am fired but the policy is uh, repealed in the spring, then uh, that's for the greater good for thousands of others who can continue to serve. Right now, traditional marriage is under attack. An epidemic is sweeping our nation, and you have the power to help. Please, help protect marriage by voting yes on the Marriage Protection Act. The 2010 California Marriage Protection Act will make it illegal to get divorced in the state of California. Marriage isn't a used tissue you can just throw away. You have to sleep with that snotty Kleenex for the rest of your life. A woman shouldn't feel entitled to own property or have control over her financial affairs. When a man commits to marriage, he's committing to taking care of me forever. Children of single-parent homes are repulsive and unlovable. My grandma used to say, Marry in haste, repent in leisure. And that means don't divorce. She also said, You made your bed, now go lie in it. And that means make your bed. Sure, Jesus still loves you if you get divorced. Just not as much as before. Hell is eternal, just like your marriage is supposed to be. John and Kate plus eight divided by two equals mortal sin. In the olden days, divorces were celebrated by stoning. I mean punished. You said till death do us part. You're not dead yet. You can't have spousal abuse without a spouse. Divorce is unnatural, like polyester, glasses, and Twinkies. Socialist countries like Canada condone divorce. What did we even fight the communists in World War II for? If outlawing divorce was good enough for the Babylonians, then it's good enough for California. If we allow anyone to get divorced, before you know it, people will be divorcing their dogs. Vote yes, because marriage isn't a right, it's a responsibility. way we do it every day preachers on the podium speaking of saints prophets on the sidewalk begging for change old ladies laughing from the fire escape 
cursing my name I got a basket full of lemons and they all taste the same A window and a pigeon with a broken wing You can spend your whole life working for something Just to have it taken away People walk around pushing back their desks Wearing paychecks like necklaces and bracelets Talking about nothing, not thinking about death Every little heartbeat, every little breath on Saturday night, President Barack Obama spoke to the last remaining group in the United States that is legally treated as second-class citizens. And in our third story on the countdown, the president promised gay rights advocates that he would end the military's don't ask, don't tell policy. But to the disappointment of many of his supporters, he offered no timeline for stopping that ridiculous practice. Before 3,000 guests at the annual Washington dinner of the human rights campaign, the nation's largest gay rights organization, the president said that he did not expect advocates to be paid on the vital issue of basic human rights. And the president took the opportunity to repeat campaign promises. We are moving ahead on don't ask, don't tell. We should not be punishing patriotic Americans who have stepped forward to serve this country. We should be celebrating their willingness to show such courage and selflessness on behalf of their fellow citizens, especially when we're fighting two wars. So I'm working with the Pentagon, its leadership, and the members of the House and Senate on ending this policy. Legislation has been introduced in the House to make this happen. I will end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That's my commitment to you. But the president offered no timeline or deadline on that. Nevertheless, the human rights campaign in a statement welcomed the full embrace and commitment of the president. The only other president to speak to the organization was Bill Clinton, the author of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But other gay rights advocates have noted President Obama's foot dragging on key issues, including the repeal of the so-called Defense of Marriage Act. The weekend's events were tied to Sunday's March on Washington. The National Equality March drew tens of thousands of gay rights supporters, including many who pointedly identified themselves as heterosexuals who were tired of witnessing intolerance toward their friends and family members. The focus of the march was a push for national rather than piecemeal legislation. The co-chairman of the march saying, quote, we're not settling. There's no such thing as a fraction of equality. We want equal protection under the law. But the march also coincides with key votes that are coming up in Washington, D.C. and Maine on same-sex marriage. Let's bring in activist and columnist Dan Savage, author of The Commitment, Love, Sex, Marriage, and My Family. Good evening, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Even recent uh, public opinion polls are way ahead of where the politicians are on don't ask, don't tell. So uh, this particular problem that the president has of, of, of still holding on to this military, th th this crazy military uh, procedure, it, it, how long can he do that in the face of uh, a, a public that's willing to make this change? Well, don't ask, don't tell is a law passed by Congress and signed by Bill Clinton. The law has to be repealed by Congress and repealed 
still has to be signed by Obama. In the interim, however, Obama could uh, issue an order suspending enforcement of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, a stop-loss order. He has the authority as the commander-in-chief, and 78 members of Congress sent him a letter asking him to do just that while they work on rescinding it. We're discharging gay and lesbian service members at the rate of two a day. Arab linguists, people we need in the forces right now while we're fighting these two wars. And so a lot of people in the gay and lesbian community, the activist community, think it's terrific that Obama is willing to repeat and repeat and repeat his campaign promises, but we want to see some action. And he made promises about the Defense of Marriage Act, about the HIV travel ban, about uh, gay and lesbian people adopting. There are a lot of promises that he made to the gay and lesbian community. This is the one where he can show that he's sincere by taking action now and suspending the enforcement of Don't Ask, Don't Tell now, just like Janet Napolitano, the uh, head of the Homeland, Department of Homeland Security, has suspended enforcement of the widow's penalty. It's this issue and really the HIV travel ban, which the administration's dragging its feet on rescinding, that where they can show that it's not just talk, that they intend to follow through on these promises. Dan, I've noticed on health care reform this year that the Obama administration strategy seems to be first check what the Clintons did, then do the opposite. Is this an instance where the Obama administration is looking at the problems Bill Clinton got into early in his, administ in his administration by, by getting caught up in this issue? And so they've decided we're not going to do that in year one. We're going to do that in year three or year two or year well, four. We have no guarantee. There's no guarantee that in year two or three or four that they're going to have the majorities in Congress that they have right now. You know, next year we're going to be told it's 2010 and we're facing midterms and we can't act on this right now. And then in 2011, we're really into the re-election campaign. And then when? When are, when are they going to act on, on these promises? You know, there's a lot of old Clinton hands in the White House, and they think it's still 1993. They need to look at the polling data. It is not 1993 on this issue anymore. Broad majorities, really supermajorities of the American public support the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell would support the president in suspending its enforcement, including broad majorities of conservatives, independents, even weekly churchgoers. This is really low-hanging fruit, if I can use that expression in this, the context of this conversation. And the president should reach for it and do it now and prove that this promise and all his other promises to the gay community aren't just a lot of hot air, but really actions he intends to take. Now, the, the, the Barack Obama is only the second president to, to address the human rights campaign, Bill Clinton being the first. I mean, surely it's better to have a president who is willing to come and talk and address the issue than a Republican president, for example, who, who would never even come close to it. Uh, at what point does this, the feeling of, of uh, you know, good cheer and, and support of President Obama's election and his administration turn into something uh, negative, turn into anger in this community? Well, it's already turning into anger. You saw that anger in the streets. And it's really not a, a perfect sort of division. There were people at that dinner who cheered the president and cheered his words, who also marched the next day and marched past the White House and carried signs and banners. But there is really kind of a Stonewall 2.0. There really is a growing division in the gay community about tactics. You know, we've played nice. We've gotten along to get along. We've allowed uh, the Democratic Party to cash our checks and accept our votes and then tell us to our faces once they're in power that they really can't act right now that they, you know, they need to worry about preserving eternally their majority and never using their majority. Well, what's in it for us, this majority? Why should we support the Democratic Party and the numbers that we do if you're gay or lesbian if there's never any follow-through from the Democratic Party on the, party, uh, on the promises that are made to us every two and four years? Don't wait for answers. Take a chance. Don't ask me why. 
human heart is only make believe. I am only fighting fire with fire. But you are still the victim of the accidents you leave. Sure as I'm a victim of desire, yeah, yeah, you're all the servants in your new hotel. Throw their roses at your feet, oh, fool them all, but baby, I can tell. You're no stranger to the street, don't ask for favors, don't talk to strangers, don't ask me why. Cute story. This weekend, I'm lying in my backyard, sitting in a hammock next to a ball keg of Schlitz ice. Got a uh, Cheetos beard, you know, with just a little hint of that cheese dust down the happy trail. And I'm flipping through the most recent issue of the Pentagon's Joint Force Quarterly Magazine, you know. It's a Sunday. So, I stumble upon this article about gays in the military that says, quote, There's no scientific evidence to support the claim that unit cohesion will be negatively affected if homosexuals serve openly. And then I remember... Well, wait, gay people aren't allowed to serve in the military? I remember when our current president was running for office, he was pretty clear about one thing. I think that we should end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I have stated repeatedly that Don't Ask, Don't Tell makes no sense. Why would we not want able men and women who are willing to sacrifice on our behalf, why would we tell them no? Why would we tell them no? Well, maybe because the only thing that scares America more than terrorists is confronting the sexual duality that exists in all of us. Uh, just me? All right, I was throwing it out there. Um, <clears throat> just testing. Cut to January. Obama moves into the White House. His press secretary tackles the issue. Really? You should be ashamed of yourself. President Obama's press secretary tackles the issue in one of his very first web chats. Thaddeus from Lansing, Michigan asks, is the new administration going to get rid of the don't ask, don't tell policy? You don't hear a politician give a one-word answer much, but it's yes. First of all, that guy needs a bigger office. <laughs> or a smaller face. <laughs> so, guy in basement shooting Blair Witch 3 says yes. Flash forward, the months pass. Obama administration. Are you revoking Don't Ask, Don't Tell? President, and I feel like we've got a lot on our plates right now, and uh, let's, let's push that one down the road a little bit. We have a lot on our plate right now. It'll have to be teed up at the right time so to, to do this the right way. The president has an awful lot on his, uh, on his desk. Of course he's got a lot on his desk. It's filled with all them teed up push plates. <laughs> Barack Obama needs a metaphor czar. I see what's going on here. Obama, meet me at camera three. Hey, thanks for meeting me here. I know that you have a lot on your desk plate. But as a thin man who smokes, you may not understand the concept. All that stuff you've been putting on your plate, it's chow time, brother. How you get things off of your plate. Well, I know. You're a, a 
man of letters, you've probably never been on a cruise, but you should see the amount of people can put on what are very average sized plates. Now, after going back four or five times, they might say to themselves, I feel terrible now. But you know what? You're the one who went on that cruise. You're the one that asked for seconds, thirds, fourths, finish your own plate. And I got to tell you, in the cornucopia of sliced meats, shrimp, blocked cheese, and Waldorf salad, don't ask, don't tell. Maybe a little bit of rice pudding right over on the side, just a little bit of rice pudding. You can finish that before you even get back to your table. It's just got to be... Because remember, you're the president... You're the president of America. When your plate gets too full, you get up and get a bigger plate, mister. Sénégal, cinéma, le Paris, demain je serai parti La gare Dakar, Bamako, Mopti, y'a pas de problème, tout va bien Aujourd'hui je me marie, j'ai confiance à Solo, Gao, l'Algérie, Tunisie, Italie y a pas de problème, j'aime au Manhattan, fast food, Dakar Sénégal, cinéma, le Paris, ascenseur pour le ghetto Il est minuit à Tokyo, il est 5 heures au Mali, quelle heure est-il talking about the aftermath of the huge gay rights rally in Washington, D.C. Kevin, you mentioned that there's still a big segment of the gay community that's hugely pissed off at Obama. Do you think that's fair? Well, I think it's, um, I mean, I think it's fair for them to be pissed off in general for, I mean, for all the obvious reasons. And I think it's fair for them to keep pushing as hard as they can, not, not just on Obama, but on Obama and on Democrats in Congress who have a lot to, to say about this as well. I mean, that part I'm fine with. What I, what I, the only part that I object to is that there's been a fair amount of a pretty over-the-top commentary about Obama in particular and how he's practically betrayed the gay rights movement because the world hasn't changed completely in nine months. And, you know, the fact is that, that he had, you know, there has been progress on some stuff. It has only been nine months. And a lot of what he needs to do, and in particular the most important piece, which is the don't ask, don't tell policy um, in the military, is something he can't do on his own. Um, I mean, unfortunately, after, you know, Bill Clinton, when he came into office, he tried to just get rid, uh, you know, uh, get, get rid of the, uh, the, uh, the policy prohibiting gays in the military. He thought he could come into office and with a stroke of a pen get rid of it. And he discovered very quickly that's not the way Washington worked. And the upshot of the whole thing was that he was sort of forced to climb down, and Congress then put that, put that into law, so it's no longer something Obama can do with the stroke of a pen. He's got to get Congress to pass something. And I think he's doing it the smart way. He's, you know, he's got a, a Secretary of Defense now who's in favor of it. He's got a, a Chairman of the Joint Chiefs who's in favor of it. He's starting to get pressure coming down within the Pentagon. And he's going to need that if he wants to get Congress on his side. So I think he's doing the smart thing. David, would you agree? 
I agree, but I did think that there was, uh, he had the ability to issue an executive order that would basically eviscerate don't ask, don't tell. It wouldn't overturn it, but he could sort of, you know, uh, make, basically make it, you know, uh, impossible for the military to, you know, pursue it in any vigilant way. And that's a question that I've asked Robert Gibbs and others a few times, which is while you're working with Congress for, you know, what he calls enduring, an enduring solution, meaning legislation to overturn the ban, uh, why not do some sort of stopgap measure? And, you know, Gibbs' explanation is not that, that, that this can't be done. His explanation is that, well, that wouldn't be an enduring solution. And we say, yes, yes, we know that. <laughs> While working for one, why not have a half-enduring solution? <laughs> and um, so, so I, I do think they have some leeway there that, they, that they've decided not to take, and that they want the political cover of the Pentagon being aboard and, 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 and Congress saying okay. So, um, and I understand that for the reasons, you know, Kevin uh, detailed. But I, I, I do think there's a reason for some gay activists, you know, not to be go over the top here, but to say, well, if he really cared about that promise, he could be doing a little bit more. There's a darkness upon me that's flooded in light. In the fine print they tell me what's wrong and what's right And it comes in black and it comes in white And I'm frightened by those who don't see it Where nothing is owed, deserved or expected And your life doesn't change by the man that's elected You're loved by someone you're never rejected Decide what to be and go be it President Obama promised, as he does every month for about a year and a half to two years now, that he would end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But this pronouncement was significant in that it came the night before tens of thousands of gay rights activists marched on Washington to protest the president's lack of action, to bring national attention to their struggle for equal rights, and from the looks of the flags, to taunt leprechauns. Gold must be under this rainbow. No, not this one. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> so Ted, that was the worst leprechaun impression ever I've ever. Why today? <laughs> Tens of thousands of protesters marching on Washington. I imagine that is going to cause a media firestorm. Well, CNN gave it some coverage there, although they didn't send any reporters to the scene. MSNBC did have a reporter on scene to do a couple of interviews before the march, but then they had to cut away, and this is true, to their regularly scheduled programming, A Deadly Affair, Honeymoon from Hell. Honeymoon from Hell, be careful what you wish for, gay marriage marchers. Overall, not a whole lot of coverage. And no one was more upset about the lack of coverage of the march than the People's Network, Fox News. 
from mainstream media accounts, you might not know that a sea of Americans marched on Washington this weekend. When at least 75,000 Americans gathered to protest something, you think it was news. How do you, by and large, miss a gigantic rally? Why is the media ignoring half of America? <laughs> Gretchen. <laughs> I don't think half of America is gay, but... <laughs> I guess if you count friends and family of gay people, people who favor rights for gays, I, I guess it is half or maybe even more than, I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, they're referring to the Tea Party marches, I see. <laughs> Interesting, the gay rights march was roughly the same size as the Tea Party protest. How did Fox, by and large, miss a gigantic rally like that? You'd think 75,000 Americans gathering to protest something would be news. I mean, it had everything Fox loves. Ordinary people demanding their freedoms, homemade signs, Flags, men in uniform. Don't tell We love our country, even when our country refuses to acknowledge our love. But we continue to defend it and we continue to protect it because love is worth it. Look, uh, gay people, I, I love a theatrical costume as much as the next guy. It's a little disrespectful to those that really served in the... I'm sorry? Iraq War veteran, West Point graduate, Arab linguist. Discharged probably for sucking at it, being gay. Oh, really? All right. Well, you don't have to yell. You know, you're right in my ear, and I know you're angry. You know, we'll, talk, we'll talk about this later. We'll talk about this later. I'll see you when I get home. No, it's behind the mayonnaise in the fridge. I don't... No, you take your finger out of your ear. No. have had the same kind of fun with this gay rights march that they had with the tea parties? People were fired up. They're upset with the government. If I got that right, you guys got something to say to Glenn Beck? Okay, okay. I guess their message to Glenn Beck would probably have been a little different from the gay rights march. Um, probably either tell him to go f*** himself or who cuts your hair and why are they so angry at you? All right. did Fox News cover this movement? You are looking at a live picture there provided by ABC News. You didn't even send your own camera crew? You have a Washington bureau. Tell them to go to the window and point the camera down. Gay people aren't vampires. They show up on camera. So Fox wouldn't cover tens of thousands of protesters at the Gay Rights March. Uh, in case you're curious, take a guess how many Tea Party protesters need to show up to prompt Fox to get out the satellite truck and an on-air personality. The school that attracted national attention for teaching students a song in praise of President Obama is the site of a protest today. I'm going to have Rob kind of show you where this protest took place just to give you a point of reference. If you guessed one, you're way over. <laughs> Although, to be fair, this was the day after the gay rights march. So, to recap, not worthy of live coverage. A point of worthy. Unworthy! Give you a worthy. The final tally between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. on the day of the gay rights march, Fox gave it three minutes and 42 seconds of airtime. Whereas the following day's anti-New Jersey children Obama song protest, represented here by an empty sidewalk. <laughs> Eight minutes and 16 seconds. What does it mean? Don't ask. Because they're not going to...
两人。To believe about a year and a half ago, I was in Iraq, an area called the Triangle of Death, or in Arabic, the Muthalath al-Mut. It sounds a little more death-like in Arabic, but I was in my Humvee, real dusty, real sweltering heat, and I heard the mosque and the minaret called a prayer. Allahum salli ala Muhammad wa alihi Muhammad. And my gunner tapped me on the shoulder and said, Lieutenant Choi, that sounds a little bit different. You translate that, what are they saying? It did sound a little bit different. That was a Shia political rally. See, knowing some of the language of what's going on certainly helped out. And so, although I was just an infantry officer, I had a degree in Arabic from West Point, and sometimes it certainly helped in Iraq. But uh, you know, we realized that our job was actually pretty simple. We went to war, we patrolled around, we found out where the terrorists were, we killed them, we did other things. It was pretty simple. We uh, rebuilt their water infrastructure, we rebuilt their hospitals, we rebuilt their electricity. Very simple stuff. And then we uh, did some reconciliation with the tribal leaders, and we installed a democracy in a war-torn country. So all very simple stuff. <laughs> and all the more simple when you don't know the language. So sometimes I did feel a little bit useful in the Muthalaf al-Mut. But I came back from Iraq, and I was 27 years old, and I seen people people in my family and, and my friends for the first time you know, in, in two years, some of them, and I had something missing in my heart. So at 27 years old, I still didn't have the experience of love. I never had a girlfriend until I met in New York City a wonderful woman named Martha. And I could not stop talking about Martha. Martha this, Martha that. I would go into work and it was like, Lieutenant, you are so happy all the time. Something's wrong with you. But I couldn't stop talking about my girlfriend. And I had all these questions because I had never um, had a, a love relationship. And I said, what, what does it mean when your girlfriend gives you flowers, red roses or white roses or, or chocolates? And what is this teddy bear that she gave me for my birthday? And it wasn't just any teddy bear. It was an in infantryman. So I was like, what is this? It's a bright red teddy bear with hearts all over it. How am I supposed to explain this to my soldiers? But they, I needed them to explain to me. See, because this love thing was a whole different battlefield, something I did not have a manual for. And they all wanted to meet this Martha. They said, you talk so much about her, we have to meet her. And my sister said, you keep saying she's really hot, but I want to know, I want to meet her. Is she really that hot? And 
there was a big problem. See, this woman Martha actually didn't exist. There was no woman named Martha. I didn't have a girlfriend. I had a boyfriend. His name is Matthew. And under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, in the military, I wasn't allowed to talk about my love. I had to lie about my love. And it was okay. For a decade, I lived under it. I was, I was never going to come out of the closet. I have a dad who's a Southern Baptist minister. I have a mom. Uh, she's a, a baby nurse at the uh, maternity ward in the hospital. Translated, she wants a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> and she wants a lot of Korean grandchildren. <laughs> so for me... I was comfortable. I was hiding. It was okay. Until I fell in love. And I didn't want to lie about it anymore because finally I understood what the movies were talking about, what the poems were talking about, what the love songs and the romance, what that was all about. I finally understood it. Why should I lie about that? And I started telling. I told my parents. I told my friends. I joined the gay men's chorus. And I was, <laughs> I would look, and in the rehearsal, I would be reading this music, and I would look up, and it just seemed like any kind of straight chorus, and I'm like, oh my god, all these 200 people are really gay. You are all gay. (laughs) This was my new community. This was like my new unit, except we didn't have to lie about who we were. So I continued to tell, and I met another group of people that I probably should have met a whole long time ago, other veterans, combat veterans, who are also gay. And I met a group of West Point graduates, just like me, who were gay. And we got together and we talked about our love stories. And we said, why should we lie about something that's so important to us? We learned at West Point, the very first day, the honor code, so simple. You will not lie. And you won't tolerate those who lie. But you have this don't ask, don't tell code that says, your boyfriend can't exist. Don't talk about it. You must lie. Well, we looked at it and said, well, actually, when I started telling, when I even told my mom or my dad or, say, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, I told, you know, (laughs) or Anderson Cooper. (laughs) That was illegal. That was a violation. And people said, you broke the law. I said, yeah, but I stuck true to the West Point honor code. And you know what? Before we learned at West Point that very day, uh, a decade ago, Before we learned how to salute, before we learned how to stand at attention, before we learned how to march in step, before we learned how to take orders, before we learned how to execute orders to the best of our ability, and sometimes when we didn't do that to the best of our ability, we got push-ups, and before we even got a single push-up, we learned the honor code. It says, you will not lie. It's that simple. And so we continued to tell. We told on radio. We told on TV. My parents didn't have a problem with that until I talked to the Korean Christian conservative radios, and they swore that the gay agenda was just getting me to be part of this. I think Pat Robertson himself might have called him up and said, you know he's not gay, but he's just doing all this to piss you off. Well, my dad got in and he said, we know you're not gay. This is just a phase. And he said, this is a bigger shame. A bigger shame. You have no shame. This is a bigger sin. Number one sin. I said, wait a minute, Dad. I sat through your sermons. I went to your church. I remember you preached the biggest sin is not to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the greatest command was to love your neighbor as yourself. And I remembered other commandments like honor 
your father and your mother. And I want to honor you because you could talk about saving face and you can talk about shame and not having any honor. But I'm telling you the truth and any relationship of love can't be based off of deception. What face do you save when you have no integrity? So I will follow that honor code. And I kept telling the army eventually caught up to me and said, you violated something that sent me a little present in the mail and uh, just said really simply, really coldly that this is to inform you that because of your homosexual admission, we consider that moral and professional dereliction. Moral dereliction for telling the truth. Professional dereliction for refusing to lie. Well, the letter gave me some choices. It said, you can resign and you'll probably get your honorable discharge. You'll get all your benefits. And being 50% disabled from the Iraq war, I'm going to need some of those. I said, oh, I could just leave. But you know what? I learned a lesson at West Point the very first day. If you are a soldier and there's a fight to be fought, you stand up. And so we started collecting up these letters. About 300,000 of them came in. And some of these letters were fiercer than the letter that I got from the army. They said, you need to keep Dan Choi because he speaks Arabic. He graduated from West Point. He is an infantry officer. He's ready to go back. He's our leader, people that I served with. And they said, don't waste my taxpayer money getting rid of this guy. We are not homophobic. Don't insult us by saying that. And one of the messages that I got that I'll remember forever was one of the doctors that I met in Iraq. We rebuilt his hospital. And he said, I saw you on YouTube. You think you were doing a CNN. They <laughs> do watch YouTube. And he said, brother, if they strip you of your benefits, your country who sent you to my country and all the sacrifices that you made, if they will not treat you, if they won't take you into a veteran's hospital because you have an other than honorable discharge, you come to my hospital any day in South Baghdad, any day, and I will treat you because I know you're gay, but you are still my brother. You are still my friend, and I want to honor your sacrifice, and it would be my duty to pay you back. And he also said, I saw you speaking at some of those rallies. I love this poem that you said. انتحر أمام الشمس نهار وانتحر أمام قمر الليل وكواكب وانتحر حيث لا شمس ولا قمر ولا كواكب لكن انت عبد لمن تحب لأنك تحب وانت عبد لمن يحبك لأنه يحبك You are free You are free before the noonday sun and you're free before the moon and you're free before the stars and you're free when there's no sun when there's no moon and when there isn't a single star in the sky but you are a slave. You are a slave to the one you love because you love him. And you are a slave to the one you love because he loves you back. I know a little bit about protecting freedoms and what it means to be free. Even on my West Point ring, it says we're the protectors of the free. I know war. And now I know love. And of all the things that war can cost, and it can be really costly, I know in my heart that of all those things, love is certainly worth it. Love is worth it.
Thanks for listening, everyone. I certainly hope you enjoyed this reposted episode. It was a great choice, I think. Huge thanks to Cheryl for suggesting it. Uh, I had a couple of ideas for episodes to repost during the holidays, but they weren't as good of an idea as this one, so I went with this instead. Uh, at the moment, I'm going to do a couple of fun things. Um, so in the in the last, I believe the last, uh, it's so long ago, I don't remember, but in, in the last episode, I, I put out a challenge for you guys to uh, guess the topic of an upcoming episode that I was going to be doing that I thought I was going to do and then I didn't, so I pulled it back, and I'm going to do it probably in January based on how the news plays out, and no one has gotten the answer right. And it's, it's always funny, like the first email I got was, oh, you probably already have the answer and five people have already guessed it, but here's my guess anyways. No. I've gotten, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 emails, some comments on Facebook. Uh, no one has gotten it right. So what I did, I went on Facebook. I tried to give more hints. So so the hint at the top was uh, it was a big news story in uh, 2006. And it was, uh, it, it came back up in the news in November. And so I was going to do a show about it because it had updated news. But uh, but then I realized there was still yet more news to happen, probably in January. So that's why I pushed it back to January and gave you guys the opportunity to guess what it is. No one's done it. So uh, on top of that information, the new hint is, no, it's not Don't Ask, Don't Tell. No, it's not the START Treaty. Uh, hopefully it's obvious it's not WikiLeaks because I don't think they existed in 2006. And uh, this uh, this topic was addressed Last uh, on the show in 2006, uh, you you probably, you know, if you follow the news, you probably heard the updated uh, information in November, and it is a niche event. It's not a big, broad topic like, you know, civil liberties or environmental policy or anything like that. It's a very niche issue. So that's everything I wrote on Facebook. Still didn't get any right answers. I'm going to narrow it down even further and say it's about literally one person. And the the broader story contains more than one person, but really the essence of it, it's about one person. So that's, that's the updated hint. If I still don't get any correct answers, uh, I will be giving you one more hint that I think will really, really solve it for you. And, uh, and I will get some correct answers uh, after that next hint. But in the meantime, if you think you know what it is, uh, send me an email, j at bestoftheleft.com. And uh, the prize is that the, the first five people to get it right get free memberships. So you get access to the bonus material and, uh, and everything like that and get thanked on the show and that sort of thing. And now to have even more fun, I want to continue uh, this uh, series that I started. I don't know. It was a long, like a month ago, maybe more. Um, what I called the uh, Source Stories series, just because that's really easy to say. And uh, so the idea was a listener had written in saying I should tell uh, kind of the background information of the sources that I use. And I thought that was a good idea. The first one I did was about the majority report. I told about how I found the show and used to listen to it while I was delivery driving and everything like that. And so we had some fun. I want to do one more of those today and continue this uh, series into the future. So today's source is uh, on the media, uh, lovingly known by uh, those in the know as OTM. 
and uh, maybe an odd choice. They don't get played that often. They're an NPR show. Uh, you know, why would I choose OTM to, to be my second of all time source story? Well, that goes back to uh, a question that I got on Facebook from Vincent back on um, July 4th of, of this year, July 4th, 2010. And Vincent asked, love your show, obsessed with Elliot Smith. Why the hell did you choose a song about getting high to commemorate a friend's overdose as your theme? And then he gives a quote from the song. And, uh, and it's a pretty good question, you know. Why, why in the world would I choose an Elliott Smith song about uh, getting high to commemorate your friend's overdose as the theme to the show? And there is a very, very specific answer to that. And here it is. So back in 2006, I, uh, I had just started doing the show. I'd been doing it for less than six months. And I, uh, I, I remember exactly where I was. I was listening to uh, On the Media uh, via podcast. I was uh, sitting in my truck. I used to be a FedEx delivery driver. I was sitting in my truck just a few minutes before six in the morning. I was waiting to be let in to the terminal uh, to load up the truck for the morning and, uh, and go out and start doing deliveries. And I was listening to On the Media. It's still, still dark outside. And uh, the way they edit their show, they, uh, they, you know, they do it with some tender, loving care. They have their segments. They have little musical interludes and things like that. And so they, uh, they used this musical interlude in such a way that it was perfect, I thought. Um, it, you know, it sounded great and would be perfect as transition music for the show. And so they, they had a segment and then it went to silence. And then this music started. And it played for 45 seconds, which is about how long my breaks are. And then it went to silence again. And then they started their next segment. It's like this little piece of music was just sitting there waiting to be plucked like a ripe apple. Um, and so I made a little note, as I did for all of the clips I wanted to pull from, uh, for the show. Made a little note to get this piece of music and use it as transition music. And so that's exactly what I did. And I had this little piece of transition music that I used, you know, somewhat regularly, and I ended up liking it so much that you know, and it was it seemed to fit so perfectly that I used it as the theme music because I wanted to have the content of the show start right at about the 30 second mark. And this little piece of music played for about 30 seconds and had this little, you know, crest of, uh, you know, it, it, the, the music rises and then falls right at the 30 second mark. I was like, perfect. I will use that for my theme music. Uh, of course, having no idea what this music actually was. This is before the age of Shazam, so I couldn't uh, I, I, I couldn't have my computer listen to the song and then tell me what it was. And there were no lyrics in this uh, bit of music, so I had no idea what it was. Um, so I used it for a long time. I had people ask me uh, what it was, and I literally told them that I didn't think it was a real song because it was literally just 45 seconds of music and, uh, you know, and there was nothing else to it. And now I, I don't know exactly how this conversation started. I had been, you know, loosely corresponding with uh, uh, the producer of the Young Turks, at, you know, way back at this time, I'd help them set up their podcast. And so Dave Kohler w would be in contact with me, you know, just on occasion for podcasting, whatever, uh, whatever it is we talked about uh, back then. 
And um, and somehow, he, I think that he had checked out my show and asked me what that music was. I think he recognized it um, as something, but didn't know what. And he asked me what it was, and I told him I didn't know. And so, uh, so after that conversation, he got back to me, you know, a few weeks or a couple of months later, saying, "Hey, I heard your theme music while listening to music with friends, and now I know what it is. Turns out, it's Elliot Smith." A fond farewell, and I said, "Awesome, thanks." And then I went out and I bought the the full song, and then I had it and fell in love with Elliot Smith and got a bunch of his other songs, and that's how I learned what my own own theme song was. I had no idea originally, and uh, and so then I was able to use it as the outro music as well, and so on and so on. So why in the world would I pick a, a song about uh, you know getting high to commemorate a friend's overdose? Completely by accident is the reason. And that's what uh, On the Media is. They're produced by some fine folks out of WNYC in New York. And uh, for my money, they're the most fun straight news show on NPR. You know, they're not a comedy show like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. They're not a science show like Radiolab. They're not a stories show uh, like This American Life. They are, you know, a, a news show, but they have fun doing it. So I definitely suggest you check them out. They are definitely one of the shows that I bump to the top of my list when I when I need you know one more clip for a certain topic that's you know hot in the news. I know to go to on the media and see if they're covering it because they're going to do a good job and uh, and you know produce something that's uh, worthy of being put in uh, best of the left. So that's the full story on them. That'll be just about it for me. I just want to thank Tracy C who signed up as a leftist member back on uh, February 16th, signed up for a monthly membership and has stuck with the show since then, and David A., who signed up on October 10th as a socialist, paying for his uh, uh, membership for a full year in advance. So huge thanks to Tracy, David, and all of the members and donors who keep the show going. I really couldn't do it without you guys. Everyone can support the show by telling everyone you know and love about it. Stay tuned into the show between episodes and uh, help spread the word online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including links to the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. It's now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right